What's good, everybody? Welcome into the views from the 573 podcast. I'm your host, Ryan McDaniel. Hope you guys had a good weekend. A lot of stuff has gone on in the world of baseball and the world of football. We're going to recap everything here in a few moments. But before all that, a couple programming reminders and a little bit of house cleaning. If you haven't yet, be sure to go check out the podcast where you guys listen to the pod. Be sure to go turn on notifications. So you'll know when a new episode drops. Be sure to go check out the YouTube channel, 573 Podcasts, so you can keep up to date with videos and shorts that we got going on over there. And like, subscribe, share with your friends. And on social media, on X573 Pods, you can follow us on there. As far as the programming reminders, uh, of course, a little bit later on this week, we will talk about the upcoming slate of games in week number eight in the NFL, week number nine in college football. As next week, we get our first batch of the college football playoff rankings. And I'm kind of debating about when to do the show next week. I may do the rankings and talk about them in leading up to the next uh, to the next week's slate of games. And I may do that. But that is next week. We are a week away from that. So... We'll have that coming up here shortly next week. As far as other stuff, we got an NBA preview pod because the NBA season is about to get underway. It was, we were kind of supposed to do it last week, but Charles and talk, we were talking through scheduling conflicts. We we're supposed to be taping that a little bit later on today, tonight, most likely, and have that for you on Wednesday. And me and Matt are supposed to get together on Wednesday night and kind of talk about where we are in right about the midway point in the NFL season and some thoughts that we've seen early on in the first few weeks, uh, what teams have disappointed us, what teams have surprised us and all that good stuff, which coaches on the hot seat. So we'll talk about that and we'll have that. That'll probably be later on this week where we'll talk about the upcoming slate of games. And we'll also have me and Matt talking about our midseason thoughts on where we are with the NFL. So that's going to be this week. It's going to be a fun week, everybody. It's going to be a fun few days for this podcast. So without further ado, let's get on into some baseball, and let's talk about what's going on in the AL and NLCS. And we got some big ones tonight. We got a Game 6 and a Game 7 tonight with Arizona and Philly. Their Game 6 is going to be here in a few hours at Philadelphia, and they will look to close out the Diamondbacks with a 3-2 lead in Arizona holding on for dear life right now. Philly's got a good shot at closing things out, and regardless of what happens in the ALCS, things will be closed out with Game 7 at Houston tonight. That'll be the nightcap with the Rangers looking to head to the World Series and Astros looking to get back there as well. And if I remember right, I was reading where the Astros have lost all their home playoff games in this series. And they have not done such a thing since 2019 when they were facing the Nationals in the World Series. And lo and behold, Max Scherzer was on the mound. And, well, guess who's on the mound tonight for the Rangers? So big series, potential enders tonight with Game 6, with the Phillies having the advantage, and we'll see who wins in Game 7 at Houston. Should be some fun ones here. I've watched a couple of the games, and they've both been really fun ones. So we'll find out if the Phillies can 
close the door on the Diamondbacks tonight, and we'll see who wins in an all-important Game 7. There's nothing, there's no two words better in sports than Game 7. So we'll see what happens in the world of baseball tonight, um, and we'll see if Diamondbacks live to play another day, and if they do, Game 7 would be on Tuesday. So get a – so we'll play right away the next day. So no little, no break in between. But that's where we are with baseball right now. And it's exciting times in World Series starting on Friday, regardless of whatever happens. Looking forward to it. Now let's talk about some football, and let's go back and look at college football in week number eight and talk about a couple of things we saw. Let's start off with the highly anticipated matchup between Penn State and Ohio State. And kind of giving a recap of what of the games we picked this week went seven and three. So not too bad. Uh one of the losses ended up being my Tennessee pick. And Clemson, Miami, that game with Clemson losing to Miami. And then USC and Utah. We'll talk about that one. What a classic that was. But Ohio State, Penn State went with Ohio State in this one. And it was just like a classic, tough Big Ten matchup. It it really was. Ohio State, we talked about the possibility of some players being out for them in this game. And that was the case. No Trayvon Henderson, no Denzel Burke, no Emeka Buka. But a couple of those players did play. Mayan Williams. I believe there's somebody else we mentioned that did play. So they had a couple of those guys, but having your RB1 out, your number one corner out, and having your big-time wide receiver two out besides Martin Harrison Jr., we talked about if it was going to hurt. And, you know, you got to give credit to Ohio State. I mean, the game plan, I think, for Penn State was pretty simple. Make sure you have an eye on number 18, Every time, have an eye on everywhere he goes. And that's what they did and still couldn't stop him. You know, it's when you have a guy like that, you can just like, it's like a safety blanket. You know, you can throw it to him. You know who you can go to in clutch situations. And he's a big time player and big time players are ready for big time moments and strive to make those types of plays, strive for those types of moments, want them. And he definitely had them in this game. You also you got to give credit to Ohio State for putting him everywhere on the field, whether it was outside or whether it was in the slot or just like different formations. They put him everywhere to try to get creative in how to get him the ball. Because, I mean, yes, Penn State knew where the ball was going. They knew, but they still couldn't stop it. And that's just a testament to how Ohio State really kind of game planned for how they were going to use Marvin Harrison Jr. Or as Cush Johnson kept on calling him, Maserati Marv. I, I don't know where that one came from. I don't know if he's trying to make it a thing. It's a, I mean, sure, whatever, but yeah. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., yeah, great game by him. 162 yards, 11 catches, and a touchdown. If you remember, he went off against Penn State in last year's game and just had an incredible game. And he repeats the same performance this year. And just goes out and shows why he's the best wide receiver in the country and why he's considered in the same breath of a lot of top wide receivers that have come out college football in the last several years. 
he was just playing amazing. And Ohio State on defense, the defense was playing amazing too. They, the front seven did really well despite not, and the secondary did well too, despite not having Denzel Burke. JT Tuimolau went against Olu Fashanu, a guy that's going to be a top five pick next year. They had some good battles. You just got to give credit to Ohio State and what they did. And then looking at the Penn State th- side of things, you know, the offense was was frustrating, to put it lightly. We talked about last week, they only had one big-time explosive play all year long of over 40 yards, and they probably needed to. And with Denzel Burke out, you probably could have taken some chances. But the wide receivers were not all that great. And you probably were hoping for a little more out of your running backs in Allen and Singleton, which they only combined for yeah, eight. Team carries about out a little over 70 yards. That is not going to cut it. Those two are probably your best offensive players and just could not get them into good situations to get them the ball, whether that's putting them both in the backfield or what. It's just like it was just kind of like a dink and dump type of offense. And they didn't really spread them out, didn't really extend it deep. Maybe you can say that's more on the wide receivers, but it was a frustrating offense for Penn State. It was frustrating to watch Drew Alar went 18 of 42. A lot of those attempts came on a drive late and went had 191 yards, but was just not efficient, just was not all that great. You wonder how much of a factor being in that crowd was made for him, and you could definitely make that case. Ohio State, they also had four sacks on the day, including one from Sonny Styles, Kenyatta Jackson, Tui Maloow had a sack as well. So it just was not a good environment for Penn State at all at the horseshoe, and they really struggled. But, yeah, give credit to Ohio State. They had some key guys out, and they found ways to win. And, again, you knew who you were getting the ball to on offense. And McCord just had an okay day, 22-35. 286 and a touchdown. But you knew the assignment. Get the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. And you know Penn State couldn't stop it. And so that's what happened in Penn State, Ohio State. Again, a classic, tough Big Ten battle with Ohio State prevailing. And you take a look at him. You can make a case when the CFP rankings come out next week with this win and their win on the road at Notre Dame. You can make a case. They have two of the best wins in college football this year and could put them at number one in the first batch of rankings next week. But we'll have to see. We'll have to wait a week to see if the committee feels the same way. As as far as other stuff going on in college football, you know, a lot of top 10 teams struggled this week. And one went down. Uh, Oklahoma, Texas, Washington, Florida State, they all struggled this week. And I remember I watched a little bit of the Florida State Duke game. Riley Leonard did play in this game. And, you know, if he did not leave in the third quarter, when they were up, maybe Duke upsets Florida State on the road. Maybe that's what happens. And also, Duke had a big running play the first on Duke's first possession that went for a touchdown. And we talked about that last week, about how Florida State, their run defense, is less than desirable as a top five team. Like, you can't have that. And so, 
if Riley Leonard doesn't go out with Duke ahead, what, 20 to 17, maybe they could have ended up winning the game. Maybe Duke could have won the game. And, you know, Riley had a, had a run. It was 7 to 16 for 69 yards and a pick. But pretty much after that, they could not do anything on offense and really struggled. And Florida State really kind of keyed in in the fourth quarter and took advantage of this game and scored 21 points in the fourth quarter to win 38 to 20. And we went with Florida State. But, man, if Riley Leonard didn't go out, maybe they could have kept the lead and held on. Washington, very un-Washington-like from what we've seen of them this year. Pennock struggled. The Washington offense struggled. They had to get a pick six to eventually really win this game in the end. Yeah, and Pennock's two interceptions in this game, 275, is just like the offense was out of whack. I guess you can give credit to Arizona State for the job that they did. But it was a, a tough sledding for Pennock Jr. for the kind of season that he's been having. Had a couple turnovers in this game. But the Washington defense, they're, they're the reason why they won this game, 15-7. to seven. They scored 12 in the fourth. And give credit to Michelle Powell for having an 89-yard pick six to clinch this win, keep the Huskies undefeated at 7-0. and And uh, not having Arizona State come into their house and upset them. Would have been a big-time upset. But Washington held on. Texas. They were in a uh, tough spot against Houston. They held on. Oklahoma had to stave off a two-point conversion from UCF to hang on and win. And then North Carolina losing to Virginia was the surprise of the day. 31-27. Virginia's second win of the season. And, you know, do I say this before I talk about UT Bama? Maybe the Virginia win looks a little bit better considering – this game, I don't know. But give credit to Virginia. They uh, went on the road. They were not afraid and uh, end, end up winning by four points. Uh, Malik Washington for Virginia, the receiver, 12 catches, 115 yards, and a touchdown. He had himself a day. Tez Walker has had a huge impact since he got back on this North Carolina team uh, from all the eligibility concerns. So he did well. Drake May was not as efficient, 24-48. Did throw a pick. But, man, give credit to Virginia. They went on the road, upset a top-10 Carolina team and really kind of hurt Carolina's chances. You know, we talked about them last week. You know, it was Florida State, Carolina, the class of the ACC. Well, maybe we have to take in reconsideration of that now with what happened this past Saturday. But, yeah, top-10 teams struggled a whole lot this past weekend and one ended up going down in Carolina. The others held off. They didn't get upset this week. But maybe just maybe we can see what happens next week or the week after. That leaves the door open a little bit. Now let's move on to the game. I'm sure all you that have kept up with the pod for years now kind of want to know what my thoughts are on. And that's this Tennessee Bama game. Uh it did kind of give me flashbacks of the Georgia game. What was it, Pruitt's last year where did really well in the first half and second half, which is like something happened. I don't know. I don't think there's going to be something drastic that will happen at, with the rest of the season like it did that year. But it is kind of concerning. The second half, there's a little, there's a lack of aggressiveness. 
at the fourth down calls, going for it in those situations. Like, listen, you can say, how can you say they were not aggressive when they went for it on fourth down those couple times? That's true. But also, if you remember what we talked about last week when Oregon went for it against Washington, it wasn't the it wasn't the going for it on fourth down that was a problem. It was the play calls that were called on that fourth down conversion and trying to attempt it and get it. It was that. And I think that was the same case here with Tennessee. There's a couple of plays on fourth down where like, we'll try to do something different and maybe let Milton do his own read and take it, get the first down because he was doing pretty good. He, he honestly, besides the besides a couple missed throws and one that probably should have been touchdown. And we'll get to that here in a minute. And then, of course, the big-time sack, which we've seen happen a couple times where it just stands there and left tackle gets beat, ends up being a fumble return for a touchdown. Besides that, he played well, and he ran the ball a lot more. There's a lot more designed runs for Milton than we've seen in the past. And I think, honestly, if I'm hypo, if I'm Tennessee's offense, I'm like, I think that's how we can win is that get Milton to run a little bit more. Maybe that gets him good and ready to go because, again, he did all right besides a couple of clips. Uh, but, you know, 28 41, 271, two touchdowns. He did have the fumble. So maybe that's the key here. But again, the second half, you couldn't run the ball. And. Going forward, going with those field goals in the first half, instead of getting touchdowns and having to kick field goals, they end up coming back to bite them in the second half. And you got to give credit to Bama's defense for holding them in some key spots and some really key spots where they really kept Bama in this game despite being down 20-7 to at half. And then Bama, they do really well. They start to run the ball a little bit better in the second half. Milro hits a bomb early in the second half, and they just do really well. You know, I don't know what to exp- what to think of Bama still. LSU, they got them in a couple weeks. Can they match LSU's offense? It may have to be a case where Bama's defense is going to have to come through for them and try to slow down LSU's offense to make it a game in which Bama they can get the offense that they need to win that game. Maybe that's the case here. But we'll see. So I think, it, you know, second half as far as Tennessee, just a lot of variables, lack of second half aggressiveness. And there there were a couple of officiating calls I kind of wondered. The fair catch one is still kind of confusing. I, I, complete, I still don't understand it. And then there was a play where I think it was on that Melrose bomb to start off the second half where I think I saw one of our guys get put in a chokehold. But I think – those played a part in the second half. I think mainly it's that lack of aggressiveness and the fourth down calls and how you went for them. Like maybe just again, Milton's running the ball pretty good all day long. Just call his own read, let him take it, go on the outside, get the first down, you know, or maybe just punt it and pin Bama down deep. But yeah, cred to Bama 27. 27- to zero run in the second half, largest comeback at Brian Denny Stadium since '95. So give credit to them. And then Tennessee, they got a game against Kentucky this week, in which kind of excited to preview and talk about a little bit later this week. 
as a maybe again Tennessee did find something with Melton running, but uh, we shall see a little bit later on. But yeah, Bama end up winning, getting their revenge with this huge comeback and moves to seven and one, and still remains undefeated in conference play. Next up, we got a couple other games. I think let's see if there's any more that we need to talk about. Ole Miss, Auburn. Hugh Freeze couldn't get revenge against his old team. Ole Miss ends up winning that game 28-21. to And really, it's because of a late score by Auburn. And then tried to get the onside kick. Couldn't get it. So that ends up happening. And Ole Miss gets the win there. Quinshawn Junkins had himself a big day running. That's been kind of lacking for this Ole Miss offense is him doing really well in the running game. And they really need that in this game on the road against an environment that really wants Hugh Freeze to win against his old team. So Ole Miss gets a win there. Mizzou, South Carolina. Mizzou gets a win against Carolina there. And Mizzou's against got a really interesting stretch coming up. They're now 7-1 and 3-1 in conference play. So they're looking really strong. Oregon, Washington State, that one was close for a little bit. And Oregon ends up getting the victory there. And Oregon's got a big game against Utah later this week. And I think, unless there's any other game, we let's see, what who else we picked? We picked Air Force and Navy. Air Force end up winning that game. And they're still undefeated. They're now 7-0. and They continue to rise up in the rankings. So Air Force is looking really good right now. And I believe... We can talk about the USC-Utah Classic. These guys just keep giving us good games. <laughs> I'll tell you what. They haven't failed in the last you know year and a half. They've given us three awesome games. And we got one here on Saturday night. The game of the day with Utah winning in a nail-biter at the very end, at the buzzer against USC and winning by a score of 34 to 32. And I'm looking at the sets now, no passing touchdowns for Caleb Williams in this game. That kind of actually surprised me a little bit. One thing we talked about with USC last week is the running game. And one thing that they did early on was run the ball. Marshawn Lloyd got a couple runs early on and including a 45-yard touchdown to get things rolling. And they did go give it to him a couple other times. He ended up scoring. He ended up doing okay. And then they just really kind of abandoned the run and really just threw it pretty much the rest of the game. You know, Lloyd didn't get a whole lot of carries after those first couple of possessions. He only had seven carries. For the whole game, Austin Jones had five carries. Caleb had 10, including the one rushing touchdown that he had. And Zachariah Branch had a rushing touchdown himself, which he made an excellent punt return to get USC in good position there late in this game to really help them get up. But they went away from the running game a little bit too early. And, you know, with a team like Utah that has a tough, smart defense, Maybe you get a little play action of all. Maybe you get some drop back stuff. It may, maybe you don't abandon the run because then maybe you can get get better spacing for your receivers, 
let Caleb work a little bit more, not have to worry about him playing backyard football and all that stuff. So maybe that's something they need to take into consideration now with two losses to their season and with a conference loss. So it's not out of the stretch for USC to still win this conference. I mean, you still got a lot of games left against these teams. You got a game against Washington and Oregon coming up here pretty soon. And, I mean, you also got the Pac-12 championship, so we'll see what happens. But it really kind of hurts them. And, you know, give credit to Utah with how they played. And they pretty much announced on Saturday that Cameron Rising, Frank Kuithi, and Lander Barden were going to be pretty much done for the season. And maybe those guys come back. I think they would be like sixth or seventh-year seniors at, at that point next year. So they're super, super seniors if that happens. But – we talk, we've kind of talked about Utah and, like, I believe it was the Oregon State game and, you know, their quarterback situation with Johnson and uh, Brian Barnes. Hasn't been great. Bryson Barnes came to play in this game. Uh, did throw a pick, but he made the play of the game late for Utah where he just takes it. You know, nothing is there for him. He takes it, and you think, like, He's going to get out of bounds. No, he has more space and gets Utah into prime position to go and kick this winning field goal. And, of course, they take a play to line it up, center it up, so the kicker has a good shot of making it, not having to worry about kicking it from the left to right hash. Line it up, and they end up kicking the field goal and winning 34-32. He made some big-time plays in this one. Three touchdowns, 235 yards. He had 57 yards rushing and a touchdown. Uh, Jaquindon Jackson had a good day rushing, going over 115 yards and getting 117. And a guy that's played defense for for most of the year for Utah, Sion Vakai, Vakai, played a little of high school, uh, played a little bit of offense in high school. And they asked him to come over and play some offense here. And I don't even know what to call it, maybe more offensive weapon. Because that's pretty much what he was. Played a part in the running game and the passing game. He ran nine times for 68 yards with a long of 24 at 7.6 yards per carry. And in the receiving game, was the leading receiver. Five catches, 149 yards, two touchdowns, had a long of 53, and averaged 29.8 yards per reception. So he played a big-time part. And, you know, you take a look at Utah, they got creative in a big-time game on the road. And sometimes that's what you got to do. Sometimes you got to be creative when you have a couple of factors of variables that go against you, whether it's players being out or, you know, being on the road. You got to find some ways to get creative. And we know Utah's a tough team. They all, they've always have been, it seems like. And they went in, played USC tough, and they went nailed and nailed. They went toe-to-toe with them and came out the victor, 34-32. And they're going to move up. They're 6-1 now. And maybe they found something here with this game plan uh, with Rice and Barnes. Maybe they, they can go forward with that the rest of the way. But, man, talk about a classic. And uh, we got another one, and I'm glad we did. The game of the day, easily by far. And uh, glad we got to win it, even though it was a little bit later for us to watch it, you know, these Pac-12 games, man. <laughs> I mean, oh boy, they're late. But, man, when it's something like this one, 
you really enjoy getting to stay up and watch a classic game like this one. So that is a college football, and that's where week eight, that's all the stuff that happened in week eight. And we'll talk about week nine. There's a couple of good games. I kind of gave a little bit of preview of that. We got Tennessee, Kentucky. We got Oregon, Utah later this week. There's a couple other really good games on the slate. I had to take a look at it, but should be another fun week here as we head to week number nine and uh, get things rolling there and find out what our first playoff rankings are going to be next week. Now let's go to the NFL and talk about what happened in the National Football League. And, of course, we still got our Monday night game night with the 49ers and Vikings. And Debo not going to play in this game. McCaffrey looks like he will. And uh, we got some conflicts of interest here with uh, <laughs> within the group chat. I had to take a, a look at it. But um, there's definitely some conflicts of interest here. With with Peter and his fantasy league, he is up 33. He's got Addison to play. The team he's facing tonight, uh, in fantasy has Christian McCaffrey left to play. And <laughs> Matt, he's got a team that has Christian McCaffrey on as well. And then me, I, I really kind of screwed myself here. I have Christian McCaffrey in one league, but I'm facing him in another. And then in that other, I'm up by a, a decent margin. But I believe it's McCaffrey and I think Ayuk and Purdy. So it, it could really hurt. So that's a conflict of interest right there with uh, all three all three of us having McCaffrey or facing against McCaffrey in some form. So uh, it's going to be uh, really interesting to see how this group chat goes. Tonight and seeing how McCaffrey does. But as far as the games, Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence did play in this game. Derek Carr has had a little bit of a, a little bit of a fit here. And Jaguars win 31 to 24. And that was our Thursday night game. And then for the Sunday slate, there's a couple good ones and a couple surprise ones. And let's talk about one of the surprise ones right off the bat here. Matt, I am so sorry I went against your lines. But to be honest, I don't know if either of us saw this coming with how the Ravens just dismantled the Lions in this game. Like, it was a complete shock with how things were going. Like, before you know it, I believe the game was on Fox. It's like, well, we're switching off this game. We're going to Falcons and Buccaneers. Like, that, you know, you know a game is a blowout when they do that and they just switch to another game. But that's what happened. Ravens winning 38 to 6. And the Lions were shut out until the fourth quarter when they got their first touchdown by Jameer Gibbs. Uh, even though Amon Ra had a good game, 13 catches, 102 yards. I mean, it was just tough sledding for the Lions, both offensively and defensively. And for the Ravens, I think this is kind of, I think we remember talking about Todd Munkin and like how could he affect the passing game. And you look at the passing game for the Ravens in this one. Lamar did amazing. a lot, And also, like a thing that I noticed in kind of reading up on this game, is that a lot of those early downs were pass plays and not run plays. And Lamar went 21-27, 357 yards, three touchdowns, didn't have any sacks. Yards per completion was around 13.2. And that completion percentage was 78%. So Lamar... 
had a really amazing game and only ran the ball nine times. And uh, Gus Edwards was a leading receiver. but And you do take a look at Lamar's yards. Like Gus Edwards had an 80-yard catch. Zay Flowers had a 46-yard catch. To, so that's, you know, around 126 of the 357 right there. But, man, line, the, the Ravens' offense was extremely efficient. If you can get some of this the rest of the way, if you're a Ravens fan, if you're Matt, I think – you're really excited about what this team can potentially do down the line. Justice Hill, Gus Edwards, they did all right in the running game. Mark Ed- Andrews caught a couple touchdowns on four catches Na- on National Tight End Day. And there's a lot of tight ends that really enjoyed it being their day and really went off and probably helped a couple of fantasy teams along the way. But they did really well. Odell got in the game a couple times, five catches for 49 yards. You know, everybody was just having uh, some fun in this offense on on Sunday. And then also on defense, the Ravens defense came to play as well with five sacks and four tackles for loss. Two of them from Kyle Van Noy, Justin Matabuke had a sack, uh, Odafe Owe had a sack. And I see him get into the action. Arthur Mollette, I saw him fly around a couple times. He got himself a ta- sack and a tackle for loss. Justice Ravens defense came to play as well. So everybody from oh, on all sides of the ball for the Ravens just had really great games in this one against the Lions. Who I was I was really glad the Lions were having this good start and was like, hey, look at them. They're really good right now. And then they have a game like this where, you know, from what Dan Campbell said, the energy felt good. It's just like everything else, you know, discipline and all that stuff was lacking. Jared Goff got sacked five times. He threw a pick. He had to throw the ball 53 times. They only ran 14 times, but again, that's because you're down so much. But threw 53 times, completed 33 passes for 284. It just was not the Lions' day. And uh, this looked like the Lions' team from a couple years ago and not the Lions' team we've seen here in the last year, year and a half. Just completely different switch. But again, the Ravens, everybody just played incredible. And if you can get this type of production from the Ravens offense, maybe run the ball a little bit more. And that's what they did. They ran the ball a little bit more later on because they were up so big. But if you can get this type of fish, maybe efficiency is a better way. If you can get some good efficiency in the running game and in the passing game, then the Ravens can be really good this year. And right now they're five and two. And so they're already looking really good, but that could be a team that can be a potential contender to watch, particularly if they're playing like this. So Ravens blow out the Lions here in this one and really made a mess of it on for the Lions on, on everything, special teams, defense, offense, everything. So Ravens get the blowout win there. Bills and Patriots, the Patriots upset the Bills and get, and get a really good win here. Mac Jones not looking completely awful. And the Patriots offense having a semblance of a pulse in this one. I do wonder how much of the Bills not having a couple of key contributors like Matt Milano, like oh, Tredavious White on the back end, if that hurts. You have to wonder about that. There's a lot of key injuries on defense and special teams. And I think that's, you know, with the offense struggling pretty early on, he had that Josh Allen interception to start the game off for them. 
kind of hoping, okay, defense and special teams, they can help us out, balance out here for not doing so well. And you have to wonder if those injuries might have hurt them in this regard and relying on them because Mac Jones was really efficient, 25 to 30, threw for 272 and had two touchdowns on the day. They only got to him once. And really, it was the passing game that really did a lot of damage. But tomorrow, Douglas went over 50 yards. Kendrick Bourne went over 50 yards and had himself the touchdown. And Mike Gusecki had himself the game-winning touchdown late, the walk-off touchdown to get the Patriots the 29-25 win. The Bills' offense did get it together, though. They did find a way to get together with Josh Allen doing well late. He was only sacked once, too. And Stephon Diggs, Dalton Kincaid getting on, on the action, going over 50 yards themselves. But Bills, I mean, you, you don't have to worry about that with their injuries. You know, is that going to affect them a little bit later on down the road? And th- this was the first time since their playoff game last year against the Bengals where they trailed on every possession on offense. They did not lead in this game once. They did not tie the Patriots once at all. So they were down from pretty much the start of the game. And the, for the Patriots, you got to feel good about that. A wire-to-wire win against a really strong Buffalo team, despite them losing a couple key guys, I think you take that. And if you get this type of Mac Jones, then I think you, you would gladly take that. But uh, we'll have to see if next week if this is all an aberration or if this is something to keep an eye on for both these teams. But the Patriots got the big-time upset against the Bills and get to 2-5, and five, get their second win of the season. Falcons and Buccaneers, we kind of talked about this one last week, went with the Bucs and thought Baker was going to get back on track. Well, it was a really low-scoring game. And Bijan Robinson didn't play a whole lot. And I kind of wondered that too. It's like, okay, why is Bijan not playing? I'm seeing Algier get some points on my fantasy bench. So what's going on here? So apparently Bijan didn't feel right. Apparently, I, I don't know if it's like head related, you know, or what, maybe, I don't know. But he didn't play a whole lot. So Cordell Patterson and Algier pretty much had to be relied on in the run game. And Kyle Pitts and Drake London had a couple impact catches. Pitts had that one, like, I don't know if you call it behind the back catch and just went all the way back. Like, I don't know, but that was an amazing catch. He also had a big grab late. And Ritter, he did have three fumbles, and that could have been costly. Give credit to the Buccaneers for forcing those three fumbles. But as far as throwing the ball, no trouble at all. Didn't throw an interception. At all, didn't have a touchdown in this game. But I think if you're the Falcons, you're like, okay. Besides a fumble problem, this game he was he was doing okay. You know, didn't make any big mistakes and in throwing into double or triple coverage or anything like that. It was only sacked once and was really efficient, nineteen twenty five and two hundred fifty yards. And yeah, Falcons get a kick from Koo late in this game and get the win. And moved to four and three, and are now on top of the NFC South. With this, with the Bucks falling to three and three, Saints moving to three and four, and the Panthers being the only winless team in this division, or and in the league. And so, Falcons they get the sixteen to thirteen victory there. Browns versus the Colts. This one went back and forth. It, I mean, it was a really fun game. Deshaun Watson leaves early. 
Don't know if it's a if he re-aggravated his shoulder or if it's concussion or whatever, but B.J. Walker comes in. And despite the Browns having probably their worst defensive performance of the season and giving up 456 yards and five touchdowns to Gardner Minshew and the Colts, they still won the game. Miles Garrett was unbelievable in this game. He was a one-man wrecking crew on defense and special teams, having that blocked field goal. It was just incredible all game long. His impact was felt everywhere. And the Browns end up winning it late. And just like, man, you got to be gut-punching if you're the Colts. 39-38. to 38. A couple controversial calls there late, too. I mean, I, I, I kind of wonder, you know, if one was, you know, if you call a P.I., and if you think somebody held or if you think somebody interfered with the pass, is the ball out of reach? And I do wonder if one of them looked like it was out of reach and they still called it anyway. And then, of course, what looked like a, a possible fumble recovery by the Colts was overturned because of a penalty there. And understandably, Colts probably living right there. So Browns get away with the one-point victory, 39-38, to 38, and move to 4-2 and two Colts. Go to three and four. Let's see. The other games we talked about, uh, Steelers, Rams. Steelers get a big road win. Although, another controversial call there. Kenny Pickett looked like he was down before he got the first down and can't do anything about it. Rams didn't have any timeouts, so couldn't challenge it. So, big loss right there by the Rams. Seahawks. Their tough defense is showing up. Devon Witherspoon keeps on making plays. And Seahawks, their tough defense. They got an interesting stretch here because they, of course, got the Niners twice here in a few weeks. Then you got the Cowboys, and then you got the Eagles. And I'm leaving. They got another team. Like I think the Ravens here. Speaking of the Ravens, they got them here pretty soon. So we're going to see how real this defense, I think, is if they can keep them in games and help them out. Packers at Broncos. Broncos almost gave this one away, but end up winning this one and getting their second win of the season. And for the Packers, I think after having the bye week, thought you were going to get it figured out. And, man, losing 19-17 to 17 like that. I was keeping an eye because I had a couple of Packers on – I had one on one team and one another. Just kind of keeping eyes like, well, they didn't do anything, so that must mean the Packers stunk it up somehow. Uh, didn't talk about this game last week, but Chiefs at Chargers. Chiefs offense had a huge explosion. Travis Kelsey, a big-time game from him, 12 catches, 179 yards, and a touchdown. And the Chargers' expensive defense keeps on coming up short. Offensively, can't do anything. Came up short in a couple – Spots lose 31 to 17 and falls to two and four. The Chiefs kind of look like they got this division wrapped up, you know. I kind of think back to me and Rebecca talking about the Chiefs and like, well, now here we are about you know seven weeks in, into the season and they may have this division wrapped up. So, uh, there here they are six and one big day from Mahomes and Kelsey. That duo is just lethal, man. And I guess if Taylor's in attendance, I guess Kelsey's always going to have a good game. So, I mean, hey, listen, I'm not going to complain. It's going to help me out in fantasy, so by all means. And then let's see it. I think we got our Sunday night game to talk about as well, in which 
Dolphins and Eagles. I think we were kind of expecting an offensive shootout, and I think when we when we kind of expect like, oh, this game will be offensive shootout. This game will be a battle of the defenses. It's going to be a stalemate. Usually, it's the opposite way around. It feels like when you, usually when you got these two high flying offensive teams, it's usually the defense that comes up big time here, and they kind of hear all this talk during the week. Is like, nah, we're going to shut them down. And then it kind of feels vice versa with defensive wise. And like the offense usually does pretty well in those games. It's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, it, it, it happens sometimes. It, Super Bowls, it happens in regular season games, it happens. And it, it happened in this one with the Dolphins and the Eagles. The Eagles winning in this one on Sunday night, winning 31 to 17. And even though Jalen Hurts, he did have that. Bat, he had a bad interception. It was tipped. That he tried to get through that defender, but credit to the defender for making a play. Had a had a pick six that really got the Dolphins back in this game. And, you know, Miami, I think you got to give credit to Philly's run defense. Their run defense, I mean, you know Miami's good at running the ball, and they don't have a, a Chon in the backfield. I, I can't remember how his name is pronounced now, um, but having him not in the backfield, and you got Mostert, and it's just like, and you got Ahmed as well. I don't know what's happened to Wilson as either. The Miami rushing attack only forty five yards, and you got to give credit to that Philly front seven for making plays. Jordan Davis, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Jalen Carter, uh, they all came to play on on Sunday night. Josh Sweat, they all did well. Hassan Reddick is another one I'm remembering. They just had themselves a good game in shutting down this Miami run defense. They also got the two or three times. Miami's defense also got the Hurts three times. But, and, but man, give credit to Philly's defense for making a couple big-time stops in, in this running game. And for Tua, 23-32, 216, a touchdown to pick. Did all right, but that pick was not a good ball to be thrown. And, you know, Tyreek had 11 catches on 15 targets and 88 yards and a touchdown. And then he had Jalen Waddle getting a little bit banged up in this game and didn't really see him a whole lot after that. But Philly, their run defense came to play in this one. And Hurts made big-time plays when he needed to. DeAndre Swift, solid day, 15 carries, 62 yards. Hurts and Gainwell had themselves touchdown. And Gainwell had himself a really fun touchdown on that spin move. And then A.J. Brown, 10 catches, 137 yards, and a touchdown, and the Titans straight at him for pretty much uh, a bag of peanuts. <laughs> so th that's what you get when you have a SEMO alum as your GM. Um, so A.J. had himself a good day. Dallas Goddard, again, on tight end day. A lot of good tight ends had themselves some really fun days on national tight end days. Five catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown. And so Philly, they moved to six and one, winning thirty-one to seventeen. And the Dolphins, they're now five and two. And if you're the Dolphins, I mean, you take a look at their two losses. They were against winning teams, even though Buffalo is four and three, and they have a better record than Buffalo. They did lose to them, forty-eight to twenty, and then you lose this one, thirty-one to seventeen. You take a look at that. That's seventy-nine to thirty-seven. That's a huge point differential. Two teams with winning records. And so th there's going to be a need, I think, to prove themselves against some winners here. 
And they had a shot last night, couldn't capitalize, and they got a big game against Kansas City in Week 9. That's going to be at Germany. So they got a big one here coming up shortly that they're going to try have to prove themselves. One thing that does help for, for Miami down the road, four of their five last games are at home. So if you're talking about playoff push, that can really help. But I think you really do need to prove like you can win these big games and not just beat up on the teams that you know you can just beat up on. You need to go and beat one of these good teams. So they're going to have a shot here in a couple weeks to do that against Kansas City at Germany. So we'll see where, where the Dolphins are at. And I believe, I think, is that everything? I, I think that's everything. I think that's all that I have in my notes. Let's see if I miss anything else. I'm you know, kind of taking a look at everything else. The Giants, they got some non-playoff opponents coming up. And their losses have been to playoff opponents from last year, playoff, playoff teams from 2022. So maybe they can catch a break there. Uh, Tyson Baguette or Tyson Bajan, or I think that's how you say his name, came in for the Bears. Justin Fields is hurt. Undrafted rookie. I can't, I don't know which college it is, but it's Division II college. Comes in, has a solid day for the Bears, in which the Bears' offense looks pretty solid. DJ Moore, pretty good game. Deontay Foreman, pretty good game. Had himself some touchdowns in a big day in fantasy. But uh, give credit to Bajin. Uh, he did really well his first start and got and got the win in his first start too. So congrats to him on a big day for him and for the Bears and finding a you know a, and getting a solid win uh, here in week number seven. So I believe that is everything that we have for you all this week. A lot of teams were on buys this week, and we'll see a lot of them back here in next week in previewing week number eight. But that will do it for this pod, everybody. Again, later on in this week, me and Matt, we're going to be getting together, talking about some more, talking some more about some of these teams, and giving our thoughts about at the midway point. Again, it's not quite the midway point, but it's close enough. So we're going to talk about that later on on I think Thursday or Friday show, and then me and Charles will have we'll, if, if anything changes, we'll, we'll have to see. But NBA pod. We'll be coming out middle of the week on Wednesday and getting you guys ready for the NBA season, which starts tomorrow night with a couple games on TNT. Excited to see Chuck, Ernie, Kenny, and Shaq all back on Inside NBA. Uh, Really excited about it. It's always fun to have the guys back and uh, see what fun and shenanigans they get up to. So that'll be coming up Wednesday. And uh, yeah, that will do it for this edition of the show. Everybody, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Hopefully you guys have a good rest of your Monday and uh, we'll talk to you guys here in the next upcoming pod. So until then, stay safe and we'll talk to you all next time.